Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello and welcome to Safety Talk. On this show, we discuss and bring attention to a wide range of safety and security products and solutions that are available to both businesses and individuals in the digital world as well as the physical world. I'm your host and personal safety expert, Pete Canavan. As a self-employed information technology consultant since 1995 and as a martial artist for over 20 years, I bring decades of both online and offline safety and security experience to my role as the host of this show. To learn more about myself and how I can maybe help your business, uh, you can uh, be secured or educate your employees. You can always check out my personal website at PeteCanavan.com. So thanks so much to our listeners for being here and those viewing us on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast as well as our channel uh, at safetytalkvideos.com. And we also appreciate you helping us spread the word about Safety Talk in your social circles as well. Now, as many as our, of our regular listeners know, we talk a lot about safety and security products and services on this show. However, safety must be a comprehensive approach, right, from head to toe, or as we are going to discuss today, Eyes. <laughs> Why eyes? Because they are irreplaceable. They're often neglected. And as we spend more and more time in front of our screens of every size, uh, as we work and go to school from home, you know, this uh, ranges from our little, you know, six inch smartphone screens all the way up to our massive, you know, 65 inch home televisions. We spend a lot of time there. So today's guest is an eye doctor who will be focused, pun intended, <laughs> on helping you improve your eye safety and health by sharing his knowledge with you. He served in the U.S. Air Force, at Kessler Air Force Base, uh, we thank him for his service, where he founded a specialty contact lens company, uh, service rather, and directed the student extern program with responsibility for clinical training of optometry students from across the country. So he's also the founding member of Complete Eye Safety. We're going to talk about the website in a little bit here, completeeyesafety.com. Also serves as its managing director. He oversees all manufacturing and education programs for that. And in addition to his active clinical practice, he's been involved in research, teaching, and innovations in the management of eye disease. And as I read about him, did a little bit of research before bringing him on the show, uh, I found out that our guest has also been involved in some pretty neat things in developing innovations in ocular drug delivery and regenerative ocular medicine. He's also the co-inventor of the, quote, electronic eyelid, which is a prosthetic blinking device that was designed for a child that lost his ability to blink because of a brain tumor. So I thought that was really wild. And also something called the Freedom Reader, which is a low vision aid that actually converts printed text to speech. So if you want to have healthy eyes, this is the man to listen to. So and with that, it's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Mark Karhoff to Safety Talk. Welcome, Dr. Mark. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Happy to have you on the show and, you know, talk about something that's a little bit different uh, from you know, our normal topics. Yet it's something, you know, just as important and probably, you know, more relevant than uh, many things that we sometimes talk about on the show. So we're going to start off with, uh, you know, finding out what, you know, drew you to becoming an eye doctor, you know, because technically you're, you're an OD, right? A doctor of optometry, which right. for people who may not be, you know, as familiar with the differences, uh, there are different nuances, right? It means right. that you are specifically trained on the overall health of the eyes, correct? Correct. So an optometrist is somebody who is an expert in vision and visual performance, as well as the function of the eye. And we treat a range of things from, you know, providing people better quality of vision with eyeglasses, as well as, um, you know, treating certain eye diseases. 
And an ophthalmologist is a medical doctor and a surgeon who's trained specifically in disease and surgery of the eye. Gotcha. Okay. So let's, uh, so let's dive into, you know, we have a lot of people there, as I said, you know, in the intro there, you know, spend a lot of time uh, on our screens. And I mean, I think with every passing month, you know, let alone year, we're spending a lot of time and it's staggering when you, when you read about some of the, the statistics of like, you know, kids, you know, spending, you know, five, six, seven, eight hours a day uh, in front of their screens. And I think that's, it's probably even more than that. I know I've, I've got three teenagers. Well, the one's no longer a teenager, just turned 21, uh, right? <laughs> but um, they spend an exorbitant amount of time in front of the screen, whether it's, you know, playing games or watching TV or YouTube videos or, you know, Instagram or whatever the latest, you know, social media app is, they spend tons of time there. Yeah. So that's something that we have to really be, be cognizant of that because, you know, I think the research still, we don't have enough time uh, since you know, people have really been been using these devices and spending this this amount of time, you know, in front of them. So we got to protect them um, from all the ways they could be damaged, right? Not just you know, from trauma or disease or, or from degeneration, but from things like overuse and excessive screen time, right? Yeah, absolutely. We, we see in people of all ages, a variety of implications of excessive screen time. And the the way in which it affects people most significantly depends perhaps a little bit on their age. There are, there are similarities. So in adults, one of the main things we see is an, is an anatomical and physiological problem that happens because, you know, when a human being is engaged, has their vision, their, their, excuse me, their attention engaged on something like a screen. One issue we see is that the rate at which you blink your eyes decreases significantly. And the blink is a really is in itself a really exquisitely complicated thing. It's it's one of the vital components of how the eye maintains its external surface. Um, and when we don't blink enough, the external surfaces of our eyes become dry. The the eye begins to secrete. The the tears actually become, if you will, too salty or too concentrated. And then this triggers an inflammatory response, which causes the surface of the eye to become, become red and irritated and really vulnerable to a variety of problems. I mean, the least of which is intermittently blurred vision. But even more significant than that, we see that the glands of the eyelids begin to atrophy very quickly when you don't blink normally. And the reason for that is, is that the blink, that muscular contraction is what expresses those glands. And when that gets interrupted for hours and hours, day upon day, week upon week, et cetera, these glands begin to atrophy. And in my clinical practice, and I think I can speak for my colleagues on this as well, we're seeing anterior eye gland atrophy, what we call meibomian gland atrophy in teens and 20-somethings like we used to see in 70, 80-year-old adults. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Just because they show you how much more, I guess, more quickly the eyes are aging in the young. And the blink reaction is something that's weird because it's an involuntary reaction, but it's also voluntary. You can make yourself blink, but that's then correct. you also blink automatically. That's so it's right. an interesting sort of, uh, you know, muscle. It is. And, you know, it's this, this, this decreased blink rate is actually a, it's, a, it's, it's actually a neurological adaptation. When you're concentrating, you don't, you're, if you will, 
colloquial, your brain doesn't want you to blink as much. So you don't. So in itself, like many things, it's actually a, it's actually a useful adaptation, but with our current, the way we use our eyes currently, it becomes a little bit of a problem. Now, what's interesting is, you know, so many people have a need to be in front of their computer screen for their jobs. And because of that, they may be spending a lot of time that maybe even more so now by being, you know, having to do a lot of telecommuting, they're having to, you know, VPN from home, they're having to spend a lot of time in Zoom meetings and whatnot. And so maybe whereas before they were out and about maybe doing sales on the road and they're driving and they're giving their, their eyes a chance to relax. And I'll, I'll talk about something there in a minute. Uh, now they're not. They're, they're, they're focused, like you said, all the time and their eyes don't have a chance really to relax. And so they're staying tight, they're staying focused, and they don't get a chance to relax. And does an employer... Uh, and I, I don't know if, if there's any precedent for this, but I mean, or, or if it's even a valid argument, but I mean, some people, I, I suppose, could say, because you could sue people for anything anymore, right? Right. Uh, it's like, you know, you're making me spend too much time in front of the screen, and it's damaging my eyes, and now I've had to to get glasses for the first time. And, you know, so what, what kind of recourse is there, or what sort of obligations are there on an employer to sort of promote eye safety so they can't really be blamed for ignoring it, I guess. Yeah, so it's interesting that you say that. And you're, you said in your intro, and you're right, that we tend to focus on traumatic eye injury. In the eye safety world, we tend to focus on traumatic injury. And this is more like a, almost like a, like a re- repetitive motion type injury, right? Like people get mm-hmm. carpal tunnel from turning a screwdriver, et cetera. And the problem we're talking about now is like a chronic use issue. So what I would suggest to employers, and it, you know, it's in there, it's in the employer's interest, aside from any kind of litigious thing that might arise or um, a negative piece of it, I think it's in their interest to create some workplace conditions that make people a little more visually efficient at the computer and make them a little more comfortable at the computer. And then they'll reap, in addition to having happier employees and healthier employees, they'll reap the dividends as well. And you know, we can, you know, I can talk about this a little bit now, if you like, what, one of the things we encourage people to do is to provide as ergonomically comfortable a workstation as possible, including good back support, including giving somebody the opportunity to have their feet placed, both their feet placed on the ground, good low back support, good posture, place the computer screen a little below the person's line of sight. Okay, just a little bit below, because not only is it a little easier on your eye muscles to be looking slightly down at something, it also um, brings your eyelid down just a little bit and keeps a little more of that moistened surface of your eyelid, if you will, against your eyeball. So about 10 to 15 degrees below the line of sight is where the viewable area of the monitor should start. Because my knowledge of the computer... In the industry, they typically always would tell you, you know, if you have your monitor, try to position it so that your eyes are basically around the middle of where the uh, the monitor is, you know, because you don't want to be, like you said, you want to be tilting your head up, but you don't want to be, you know, having your head too far down either. So you do want to have it pretty much in front of you. But you're saying, as opposed to being directly in, you know, the, have the monitor directly in the middle, actually have it down slightly, which is interesting because mine are all down a little bit. <laughs> so yeah, I guess so, I'm perfect. Right. So, right. so what I would say is that the viewable area um, should be, should start like, so the top of your screen should be just a little bit below your line of sight. And so, because what, what, one of the things too, that that does is one of the most difficult uh, 
if you will, eye postures for a person to have is to look up at something. And you can prove this to yourself by just looking in up gaze and trying to mm -hmm. hold it for a little bit. It's where right. we fatigue the most. And so if you are constantly looking subtly up at your computer monitor, you're going to, you're, 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 you're going to fatigue more quickly. And so um, other things we could, you can think about too is I always encourage people to look at their screen and you can place like a folder above your head and maybe to the sides, you know, one, two, three, do, do three different positions there with the folder to block the light coming from each of those directions. And if you find with the light blocked that you see your monitor better, you might think about, if you can, readjusting the angle of your monitor or the position of your workstation to reduce glare. There are also some commercially available anti-glare screens that you can place on monitors. They're, you know, widely available at places like, you know, pick your office supply store. They're available at those kind of places. And reducing glare is helpful as well. So that's just a few, a few ways. Avoiding drafts to the best of your ability. Right, because um, they'll dry your eyes out. Like, you know, just like this. They dry your eyes out, you know. Now, some of the, um, the things, I mean, because I'm, you know, I'm pretty healthy. I try to stay healthy. And, you know, I'm a computer consultant. I've been working on computers for a long, long time. And believe it or not, I don't wear glasses. I don't have contacts in. It's, it's bizarre. Yeah. Uh, not to say it's not coming one of these days. You know, I do think yeah. the print's starting to get a little smaller on some things. But yeah. the last time I went to the eye doctor, I said, no, you're still good. So I was, I was pretty psyched about that. But one thing that I, I read a long time ago, and uh, you can maybe uh, let me know if this is true or not, but it makes sense, is that when you're constantly looking at something close to you, you the muscles of your eyes are contracting. And so they are holding that focus. And when you look away, they relax. And it, so if you're spending a lot of time looking at something that's always very close to you, you should every 20, 30 minutes look up and just look out the window and focus on, you know, the top of a tree that's, you know, half a mile away or something mm -hmm. and give your eyes a chance to relax a little bit and then go back to what you were doing. Is that a valid thing to do? Absolutely. And we encourage people to do that all the time. And with the kids at, at, at school virtually now, this, we're, we're educating the schools and the teachers, and, and I think they know this of their, of their own. Uh, they're calling them body breaks. They're encouraging the kids to get up and move around and, you know, look out a window, as you say, things like that. And, you know, what's, what's interesting about that, Pete, and, and I think this is maybe a separate discussion, but I think part of the reason that you probably don't, uh, that you see as well as you do, and that you still aren't wearing glasses to look at your computer screen despite your professional load. Um, you made reference to the beginning and the beginning of the show about being an athlete, about being a martial artist. Um, and I don't think it's by accident that your visual efficiency is good and you're somebody who has that other thing going on in their life as well. That's maybe a separate discussion for another time. One of the reasons we give people vision breaks and this is another way in which I think it helps employers because when a human being is looking at a computer screen, not only is their vision tunneled in on something this big, but their visual attention is tunneled in on something that big. And so human beings direct their cognitive attention where their eyes are pointing. 
you, it's impossible for a human being to shift his or her eyes away from an object without shifting their attention. So when, you're, when you are fixated on the computer screen for hour upon hour, you get a form not only of visual tunnel vision, if you will, mm -hmm. but you get perceptual tunnel vision as well. And one of the things we know, and this is one of the biggest problems we see in children, right? I don't think it's by accident that we see a spike in ADD when people are spending more and more time on computers. So the more time you spend on a computer, the less efficient you're going to be because your attentional concentration will wane. And by looking up and moving around, your visual system is being peripherally stimulated without your, even your awareness, okay? It's being peripherally stimulated, and that's giving you an attentional break as well as a visual and a body break from it. So it gets the blood flowing too, right? And, yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and that's important because you need blood flow to all parts of your body, eyes, eyes included. So that's absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's it's something that you know I, and, and there's some other things too. And I, we'll get into maybe a little bit uh, down the road, but uh, there's some other things too that you know I just try to practice, and you know I think one of the reasons why we're seeing a lot of more people, at least I know I. I it appears to me like I'm seeing a lot more kids with glasses. My wife's like, oh, how do you know they just don't have bad eyes? And I'm like, well, hon, how many kids now are on these screens all the time, you know, with, with their eyes not getting a chance to relax? And so their eyes are getting stuck in this, in this position because they're always in front of their face. And the other thing is their heads are down, right? Yeah. And when your head's down, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've read that when you are constantly like this, that gravity is working against your eyes as well. And so the eyeball can start to elongate because gravity is starting to pull it out of whack a bit. And so now you, you need correction because of the eyeball actually changing shape because of gravity. Is that true as well? Well, it's interesting. I would agree with you for sure that there are physical forces at work on the eye that can cause it to change without a doubt. So those, those muscular contractions you were talking about before are, are one of those things. You know, the way I think of it is, and you see this out in, out in nature, right? I mean, you'll, you'll see a tree, let's say, um, growing on some south-facing beach somewhere where the trade winds are coming in one direction all the time, and the tree does not grow upright. Right. It grows wow. sideways, right? So biological systems will grow along the lines of stress to relieve the stress, that's, that's the, the essential that's character nature. of a biological hey. system, right? Mm -hmm. So if, you're, if your eye has a consistent stress for near vision, for near point, it will grow along those lines of stress and you will become more nearsighted. So it's a, yeah, so I mean, the myopia or nearsightedness is at epidemic proportions. And again, there are people who would argue with us about this, but the reality is, is that we too in clinical practice, you're not alone in seeing it. In clinical practice, we see younger and younger, they're becoming more and more nearsighted. And nearsightedness isn't just some trivial thing that you can fix with glasses. Severe nearsightedness is a, can be, again, separate discussion perhaps, but a significant public health issue. Yeah, and that's, that's not good. We've got we to, and I think by doing this, you know, we're bringing some attention to that and, I, and that's a really good thing. So let's... Uh, Workplace-wise, uh, like you said, some of the best ways to sort of combat that fatigue and that strain on the eyes is, you know, to get up, look around, you know, give yourself, uh, you know, breaks periodically. Um, in the workplace, um, 
we what what do you normally see as you know looking at factors that would decrease the the visual performance from somebody at work either you know an obvious one maybe like you know an injury or trauma or you know somebody who's doing work and they're not wearing their safety glasses and something happens or whatnot right but um so maybe we could kind of break it into two parts you know a, a physical problem where there's an impact or something gets in the eye versus a non-direct trauma, I guess you could say, injury to the eye. If you could maybe talk about the two sides of that. Yeah. So people, what's interesting is, is one of the things we, we like to talk with our safety clients about and our patients about is the, is that the best way to prevent eye injuries is to make them so that they, the best way to deal with eye injuries is to prevent them from happening. And there's lots of ways you can go about doing that, right? I mean, so there's administrative safeguards, meaning if, if I'm not relevant to your job function and you're doing something with a high velocity tool, as an example, I shouldn't be in your workspace. Right. You know, so that would be an example of an administrative safeguard. Certainly there can be physical safeguards, you know, glasses and tool shields and those types of things. But the other thing that we really try and concentrate on is encouraging people to think about what they do every day and assess and we help them think about what they're doing and what the risks their visual system are as a result of their job function. We've talked some about yours given your the activity you're doing now but when you're doing your martial arts obviously you're at you're at a completely different set of risks in terms of your visual system. Right. And so we'd like to, <laughs> right, that's right, right, for sure. Yep. And we, we encourage people to take a look at what they're doing and what their employees are doing and really assess what the risks are because the risks aren't always the same. And we encourage people to get the buy-in of the cultural leaders on the shop floor as an example. So a lot of times your most senior people are the people who get injured. You're right. You would think it would be the opposite, right? But what, in actuality, what happens is your most senior people just come and they have such a high mechanical aptitude for what they do, a high mechanical facility for what they do that they don't have to think about it and they just brush right in and do. And one of the biggest issues we see is that these guys and gals find their safety glasses a nuisance because they're not properly fitted safety glasses. They're buying over-the-counter things from the hardware store or they're buying them from a vending machine or that. They're buying them by the case. They're, yeah, they're buying them by the case. And, and by the way, OSHA requires, OSHA is very clear on this. OSHA says, you will provide your, your personnel appropriate eye protection and appropriate means it has to be comfortable and it has to be properly fitted, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the biggest ways that you can, you know, of avoiding eye injuries. But the, I think the first is education. The second, right? And the second is properly fitted personal protective equipment, whatever that may be. And then another thing that we really encourage, and again, I, I think it's interesting, you know, there's a lot of applications to, 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 to martial arts here. One of the big types of injuries we see is not that I get injured by what I'm doing, but I get injured because I'm not paying attention to what you're doing. 
whether it's that you strike a welding torch or you're grinding and I'm not paying attention to what you're doing, having some situational awareness and just encouraging people to have some situational awareness goes a really long way. There are it's interesting you say that because we talk about situational awareness on the show a lot and usually just in the context of being aware of your surroundings and a, a threat. But yeah. obviously something that can hurt you can be a threat like any, like somebody trying to, you know, rob your, you know, take your wallet or whatever. It can be just as much of a threat like you're saying from a tool or something at, at your place of employment where if you're not paying attention and you're not being situationally aware, that could come back and bite you. And that's, so I think that's a great, great point that ties that right in with the safety that we talk about all the time, you know? Well, yeah, you know, and I think that like when I drive by construction sites, like if I'm driving down the highway and I see a construction site, I, I, I have very mixed feelings. I think to myself, man, I really need to applaud these guys and gals because these, when I look at these uh, construction site, it seems to me like the most dangerous place on earth. It's unfinished, uneven ground. You've got multiple trades working in close proximity to each other. All of them are high mechanical aptitude job functions where, as we were talking about before, visual attention. If you're an electrician or if you're a carpenter and you're trying to do some kind of detail-oriented work at near, guess what? You're, you're, you're physiologically not paying attention to your side vision because you're perceptually focused in on what you're doing. Because you have to be. Because you have to be. Because it's a fine motor skill, and fine motor skill is driven and guided in human beings by fine visual attention. It's, in human beings, it's all vision. So when you're, when you're focused on a fine motor type task, you're automatically a little bit down-regulated just neurologically to how much you're paying around to your, to your peripherals, as they say. And we see people at risk for falls or struck. I mean, these are people who walk on uneven ground all the time. Right. You know what I mean? And it would be very easy to lose your balance, to, you know, whatever the case may be. Sure. I mean, and, and it can happen to anybody anywhere, you know, with, with eye safety. And I, it drives me nuts when I see people who should be wearing eye protection and they're not. You know, it's not like I'm, I'm some eye safety Nazi, but I just, I'm just a safety person. You know, I mean, that's the whole point of the show is safety talk is, is to talk about all things safety. And if, when you see somebody doing something unsafe, you know, it doesn't matter if it's they're not wearing you know, gloves or they're, they're cutting their lawn in flip-flops or, you know what I mean? Like you see right. things all the time and it just makes yeah. you go, oh my God, I hope they don't cut off a toe or, yeah. you know, or somebody who's doing, you know, a function where they should be protecting their eyes or not. I mean, technically you know, when you're weed whacking and you're working on your lawn outside, you should always have your eye protection on. So many people don't, they don't think about it. Quite frankly, you should have ear protection on too with yeah. that loud lawnmower and a weed whacker because over time it's damaging you, even though it doesn't quote hurt it's still damaging you, you know, but people think, ah, it's fine. It doesn't bother me, you know, and they think they're tough guys, you know, and then when they're 50, 60 yeah. years old and they can't hear it, what, what? Oh, it's because, you know, you had a landscape business and you were too tough to wear, you know, earmuffs, you know? <laughs> so, right. But no, I mean, it's, so yeah. it's there, there are all these different things that, that, uh, you know, can be prevented, but you have to bring your attention to it. And I think that's, that's really the, the crux of it is, is you have to understand and be aware that so many different things can, can affect you. And of course we're talking, you know, specifically about eye safety, but it, it really boils over into just about everything else you could think of. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the other thing too is eye injuries happen so quickly 
And even, even what we think of as minor eye injuries, I mean, we see people with little pieces of metal in their eye every day. I mean, and for a lot of these guys, um, you know, and of course it's men and women, but it's just mostly it seems like there's a preponderance of men who come in with these issues. Um, the thing about it is we remove the metal, the metal gets ground out of the eye. Very often it leaves a scar. Okay. So the, so the cornea of your eye, as you know, is a transparent structure. It has to be right. That's how, that's why you can see through it. That works. Yeah. And, and so when we scar it in the process or it becomes scarred through the injury and maybe even through the, through the medical treatment as well, that scar is not going away. So you think to yourself, well, now I'm 2020 in this eye, maybe I'm 2030 in this eye, 2025. So people say, well, that's not too bad. I see fine. But then what happens is you're driving at night and the headlights blind you in this one and you still see fine in this one. Mm. So now you're getting unequal inputs, right? This input and this input goes to the same processing center. So now you're getting unequal inputs and you start having spatial problems right with your with coordination and your depth perception yeah now to, to go back to our construction worker friend who's walking over unfinished ground right or a steel worker at, at height walking on a beam and he's got a little bit of a subtle depth perception problem because he had a piece of metal carved out of his left eye six months ago long forgot about it mm-hmm. so it, you know it's, it's a neurological system right so once it's damaged boy it's hard for it to come back that's not good plus they can give you that feeling of uh of nausea what's the word i'm looking for um when uh almost like a vertigo type. vertigo that's what i was trying to think of yeah, yeah. almost like you get that because you 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 can't focus and and that's that's strange i mean anybody who's even just you know if you cover one eye you know what that does to your depth perception in fact in martial arts when we train and we spar we actually once you get to a certain level you start training with an eye patch so wow. that you get used there to you what would happen if you were in a fight, what happens is, and you get poked in the eye. Now the eye's water and you can't see. Well, if you've never practiced like that, you're going to have no clue where things are. So we actually practice that where you'll have one eye patch for, for a period of time during the training and then we switch it to the other eye and then we blindfold you totally. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> so then you wow. work on your hearing. So what happens if something happens, like somebody threw something in your eyes, like sand or dirt and you can't see, and you still got to try and protect yourself and see what's going on. So it helps build your your hearing and your other perceptions when you, you know, because you take away one sense, the other ones get enhanced. It happens with people with, you know, permanent injuries and disabilities all the time. They lose one sense, the other senses start to get more, uh, more tuned uh, to compensate for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting, though. I think it's interesting the way you phrase that too. You, you, when you say if, if your eye, if one eye becomes injured, you didn't say now you can't see. You said you don't know where anything, you don't know where things are. And that's 100% true because, and, and I think that's different because people tend to think of vision as, oh, I see fine, right? Meaning what they're saying is I can read the eye chart fine. Right. But what, what's not being measured all the time in a routine eye exam is how are you sort of understanding where things are in space? And do you have good depth perception? Do you have a good sense of where things are in relation to you? Mm-hmm. And et cetera, et cetera. So, no, it's, it's, it's wild because if you don't think about these things, you never, you never would. But when they, all of a sudden they're presented to you, you're like, oh, wow, you know, that, that makes sense to do that, like in, the term, in, in terms of like training or whatever. 
So we want to protect people's eyes, obviously. You know, you can't go get an eye transplant. We, we don't have that yet. You know, maybe one right. of these, these years we will. Uh, but right now, you lose an eye, you know, if it, that eye is permanently damaged, that's it. You're done. You know, you, it's not coming back. So it's super, super important that, that we protect them all the time. So, the, you know, people always say, well, wear safety glasses, right? Well, there are different types of safety glasses, right? Do, do, you know, mm-hmm. are you are you shooting, you know, of a firearm? That's one type. You know, are you certain types of, of uh, jobs? You maybe need goggles as opposed to glasses. You get with shields. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the different types of eye protection that maybe people aren't really aware. Of. They just think safety glasses are safety glasses. Right. So um, what most people are familiar with is just a standard sort of spectacle that goes through a special battery of tests to become certified by um, ANSI as a certified Z87 um, pair of safety glasses. Like impact protection or something, right? Correct. Impact protection. And so both the frame and the lens that go into it have to be independently tested. And it's a whole, whole big thing to get approved to do that. Um, and those are just standard safety glasses. We also very often fit people in what are, what are goggles, and those have become particularly of note recently because of this whole COVID thing. And so a goggle actually provides a full seal. It doesn't actually, so the goggle doesn't actually hold the prescription in the goggle itself. It's a larger kind of a plain lens, if you will, that fits over your entire eyes and the surrounding areas of your face and forms a seal. And if you require a spectacle lens, if you require eyeglasses, it's fitted as an insert. There's a special thing we call a spectacle insert that like clips in with the prescription lenses inside the, uh, the goggle. Oh. And goggles are useful for things like if you're exposed to aerosols, um, like with COVID, like if you're a healthcare worker and somebody sneezes in your face, a pair of glasses isn't going to help you, but the goggle will offer you more protection. Right. Which is, and it's interesting that you said that. I got to just stop you there for a second, yeah. doctor, because all it did talk about people, you know, protecting themselves and wearing these masks and the masks don't work anyway, unless you're wearing an N95 or 100. You see these people with bandanas and everything else yeah. over their face and yeah. they just laugh, you know. But not many people talk about the fact that viruses and bacteria can get in through any body opening. They can get in through your eyes, right? I mean, obviously yep. the nose and the mouth. Um, yep. But eyes aren't talked about that much. Now, you, you, you've you seen some people, uh, like I've, I go to all different types of businesses, and I was in uh, one the other, a couple of weeks ago, and everybody had face shields on. It was a, uh, a plasma donation center where people mm-hmm. would go in and donate blood plasma. And so they all had the face masks on because, you know, obviously things splattering, you know, putting needles in, something spurts, you know, you want to keep yourself For sure. But yep. Uh, yep. we now have this whole sort of culture of PPE, you know, it's something that most people didn't even know what it was six, eight months ago now. And everybody knows it's personal protection equipment. And, you know, when you got, you have your goggles and your face mask and your gloves and everything else. So based on the different jobs that you have, like I was saying, like you have, like you're talking about if you're in a, in a job where you've got aerosols or sprays or splatter, you obviously need something much better than a, a standard set of safety glasses because they're not going to protect you at all. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. So they have to seal completely around. And that's another thing too, that, you know, OSHA requires that if you, now you can wear 
a spectacle underneath a goggle, but it has to be a combination that can be fitted comfortably with good, useful, stable vision. Um, and Do so they have to be optically uh, correct. So they have the, to be. So, so like if you're wearing your glasses in order to look through something, whether it's a shield or goggles, do they have to be, quote, optically correct so they don't distort it all? So, yes. In th the answer is yes, they do. The short answer is yes. Now, when you look at these over the – sometimes when you go to the hardware store and you pick up a pair of safety glasses, and I bet, based on our conversation, that you've probably already done this. If you hold these things up and you – you know, do the old shake and bake, as we call it, or, and you look at something that you know is objectively straight, you'll see little warps and wiggles through the, these injection molded lenses. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's kind of what you get when you pay 50 cents a piece for them, you know? Right. So right. in theory, buy them in bulk, so that's what they get. Right. Yeah. So in theory, and those, those can be OSHA approved, um, and there's standards that are met and there's samples that are taken and that type of thing. Um, so I don't say that there's no use for those things, but it's, um, it's not the best that's available. And so if you get a good quality sh uh, goggle, it's done in a way, and we, you know, we have a shooting glasses um, business where we actually injection mold our own shield lenses and we had a precision optically corrected tool made in the USA in uh, Massachusetts to do this. Awesome. Um, and we had an optical engineer do it for us because it can't have aberrations in it, you know? No, not so, in shooting. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's, you know, these guys, they crawl the gun, they get in these unusual positions. And if there's any type of imperfection off the center of the lens, they get all kinds of perceptual problems and things. Man, you're off target. They're off target and it, it induces, you know, to your earlier point, it induces errors in, in spatial understanding, which leads to those other things we were talking about, which as eye doctors and in in, in eye safety, we think about, we think about the whole person, not just the pair of glasses. So the pair of glasses is only gonna project you, protect you from a blunt trauma or from a foreign body injury. It's if, but if the glasses make you feel like you're going to fall down, or in the case like we're discussing, if they give you subtle shifts in the prescription, that just for a split second gives you that little blurb of something not right, people, it's usually a spatial misjudgment people make. It's not a visual acuity misjudgment. People right. Well, all of a sudden you're like, whoa. You're like, but right. Why do I, why did that just happen? They, they may not even know why. That's right. That's right. So, so there's the goggles. And then the other kind of other piece we do is we work a lot with firemen and, and we and, and uh, first responders. And when they have their breathing apparatuses, we fit these spectacle, what we, th what we call spectacle kits inside their, their breathing uh, masks as well. Well, as we're talking about that, I'll bring up for those watching on YouTube, the, uh, the website so people can learn more about specifically what some of the things that, uh, that Dr. Mark's talking about here. Uh, a complete eye safety, uh, complete eye safety.com. And, uh, so you think mobile optical lab looks like you guys have here, um, all kinds of services, you know, like you were just talking about safety eyewear for corporations. Uh, you know, you, you were just mentioning, uh, things for those who are wearing, you know, gas masks and things like that. Uh, so there are a lot of different uses and there, there's, or should I say, there's a lot of demand in a lot of different areas for, proper eye protection and you need to make sure that these things are 
optically correct, that they're doing the job that you're buying them to do, and you're not just buying it because, well, I was told I got to wear safety glasses, so I'm putting on these safety glasses. Well, they may make you feel good, but if they don't do the job when you need them to do their job, what the heck good are they, right? So, I mean, that's a right. big, big deal right there. Right, absolutely. One of the things we do, you know, there's a good safety program should have lots of kind of pieces to it. But one of those things is it, is it has to be convenient for people. Because as you've already addressed, you know, our, our safety directors that we work with, I mean, these guys and gals, they're worried about fall, struck by hazardous material injuries. They're, they're worried about 9 million things. And so one of the things we've, we've done in response to that is we've created something what we call optician on demand. And we have a industrial optician who we get person to have a meeting just like you and I are having, have some advice about what frame fits their face appropriately, what type of frame is appropriate for the magnitude of their prescription, et cetera. And make sure, like you said, that they're, they not only just are tossed a pair of glasses, but they're, they're given a custom made medical device because that's what a pair of spectacles is. It's a custom made spectacle, a custom made medical device that's made for you and mine aren't the same as yours. Um, and a variety of reasons, not just my prescription, but my facial anatomy is not the same as yours. Uh, therefore, even if we buy the same frame, it needs to be adjusted differently for you than it does for me. Yeah, and that's a great point because, you know, people may not realize just how much those little, little subtle adjustments can make, not only in the comfort, but in the actual performance of the eyewear that you're putting on your face to protect your eyes. You want to make sure that it's doing the best job it can. So don't cheat yourself by buying something that you think is doing a good job when it could actually be doing a much better job. And so again, education is always the, the starting point, right? In terms of, of how to make sure that people are safer, no matter where we're talking about. And eye safety is no difference. Uh, there's no different rather, but in the pandemic, you know, in the, the 2020, in all of the problems that we're seeing and how people want to keep themselves safe, how has that affected eye safety? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think aside from, I think the most obvious way is that it, people are in a financial crunch and it's, I think it's, they have so many existential threats to their business that they are understandably maybe shifting their attention away from their eye safety program sometimes. Um, that's one, I think that's one impact it's had because, you know, people are seeing such, you know, supply, there's so many issues, right, going around from supply chain issues to demand on and on. So that's one way that it's impacted. Another big way, this is going to sound trivial, but any glasses wearer will understand, these masks, your glasses fog like right now. They fog instantaneously. Yeah, big problem. Uh, so, and it turns out that getting an anti-fog for your glasses is a non-trivial problem to solve. I mean, it's a, turns out that it's a complicated thing to make. And um, so we, we provide some solutions to customers um, in that regard to help them with the fogging. Um, so, so that is a big <laughs> issue though. And that's a it safety is. issue. Cause I mean, if you got the mask on and it's fogging up your glasses and now you can't see, 
that's a problem. <laughs> right, right. You know, I used to say to guys in the Air Force all the time because, you know, a lot of the DOD beneficiaries got LASIK. We used to do a ton of LASIK, you know, refractive surgery on active duty personnel. And they they would sort of see it as a as like a benefit of, of serving their country. And I was like, well, that's great that you see it that way, but make no mistake, this is being done because glasses fall off your face when you're in the desert. Right. And you know what I mean? Uh, or wherever, if you're in a forward area and your glasses fog or your glasses break or your glasses fall off, now all of a sudden it's a threat to you. And it's a, it's a threat to your countrymen. So that's right. you, can't, you can't protect the guy next to you. If you can't yeah, that's right. Seem to protect so, so that's the reason that they're doing LASIK. But so this fogging thing is, is a real, is real. And it, it really does cause significant problems for people. Um, there's, there's things you can apply to the lens out there just to give people a tip. Um, and can't just you put know, some Rain-X anti-fog on there. <laughs> you know something, that kind of thing works. You know what I mean? It works. I mean, I've seen guys put shampoo on it, let it dry, and then wipe the shampoo off. And I've tested it, and it works. I mean, it works until your lenses get dirty and you have to wash them. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? And then you just have to reapply it. But but that type of stuff works. And it, and it you know, there are some commercial products out there that are made for, for lenses and made for glasses, but they have to be reapplied on a regular basis. Uh, we see it in the big shoots too, like in the shoots in Florida and Texas where the humidity just goes crazy sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or when you go from up. inside to outside or vice versa. Yeah, that's what it is. Right up. Right. Yep. Yep. So. So I wanted to talk, uh, we're flying right through here, Doc. Um, I want to talk a little bit about computer vision syndrome. Okay. Mm-hmm. Could you explain that to our listeners? Because it's something that I think more and more people are, are hearing about. It. And as we talked about earlier in the show, spend a lot of time in front of technology. Uh, and this is something that, that is affecting people. Can you explain what that is and how maybe, you know, people can protect themselves against it? Yeah, absolutely. So computer vision syndrome is that sort of combination of signs and symptoms that people get that are spending too much time looking at a computer screen. And those signs are things like um, red eyes, watery eyes, itchy eyes, uh, the symptoms are things like intermittently blurred vision, headache, loss of concentration. Um, sometimes one of the downstream effects of computer vision syndrome is sleep disturbance, believe it or not. And the connection there has to do with a lot of it. turns out I'm no expert on computer monitors, but apparently they're rich in short wavelength light, like blue end of the spectrum kind of light. And one of the miracles of your visual system that I don't think a lot of people think about is some of the cells in your eye don't actually, don't actually function to like make an image for you to see. They actually project deep into the middle region of your brain where your sleep is regulated. And it turns out that one of the ways that mother nature gave you to regulate your sleep cycle is by the wavelength of the ambient light that's out in the world. And as it gets progressively bluer, it trips the production of melatonin in your brain, which starts saying, okay, start chilling out. It's getting ready to be time to sleep. And when people have constant bombardment with blue light, it turns out that in many of them, it disrupts that mechanism and they have disturbed sleep. So I got to talk about this. So, 
I don't know, maybe two years ago, year and a half ago, I came across the blue light setting in my phone. Yeah. And a lot of people don't even know it exists. But in all yeah. the iPhones and all the Androids, you, there's a blue light filter in your display settings. And I have it set. And everybody I show, I tell them, do it sunrise to sunset. You can have this thing come on and off automatically where you are in the world and when the sunrise and sunsets. And what it does is the blue light filter turns on at sunset. And it filters out the blue light. So now you have a softer looking screen with less blue light, like you were just talking about, infiltrating into your eyes, causing you to stay awake and causing you know you to have problems potentially with sleep. So by cutting that blue light filter out, it's amazing. And some monitors have it, but I've noticed it most uh, prevalent in, in smartphones. Mm -hmm. um, they have them in laptops too and tablets. But it's an amazing feature, and it's going to protect your eyes, and it's going to enable you to also protect your ability to fall asleep. Like, and we all know how important sleep is. Yeah, absolutely. And those things work. I have one on my phone, and I use it as well. And I also just from a you know just from a behavioral perspective, I'll, I'll put my phone down and not pick it up. You know, within a you know, other than from tonight, for tonight, right? I'll pick it up and I, I won't pick it up after a certain time of the evening, that type of thing. That also helps. Right. You know, you can get, there's a, there's a little bit of the wild west out there with these coatings on, on spectacles as relates to these blue light uh, coatings. A, a lot of people ask me about those. What I can tell you from the research I've done, the ones I've looked at from the big, reputable manufacturers of, of spectacle lenses and spectacle lens coatings that it's a very specific wavelength of blue light they're targeting. And there's reports that suggest that those are effective and they work. You can also get these things online and from a variety of sources, you know, for $14.99 and that type of thing. And I can't comment, comment one way or the other on those. They may or may not work. I mean, I don't want to say they don't. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, there's a little bit of a, if you will, a gold rush here that this is like a consumer item now that people can sell. Um, but they're not all created equal. So I would just be cautious about what you're getting and talk with your doctor and let him or her recommend one, um, even if it's an over-the-counter one that they think works. Or to your point, the electronics nowadays have the setting on them. So. Yeah, you take advantage and use it. You know, if you're using yeah. a laptop, if you're using a tablet, and we're all using our phones, go into your display settings, find that blue light filter, and set it up automatically. So it's seven, like usually right around seven o'clock or so, seven thirty, whenever the sunset is, boom, it comes on automatically. Sometimes I'll be on the phone, and all of a sudden it goes boop, and it yeah. just you see that it changes, and you're like, oh, okay, it's and it's like a little fantastic. yellow kind of a. It's like a yellow cast to it, right? Like a little subtle yellow. Yeah, very subtle, but it, it really makes it easier on your eyes because that harsh blue light all the time bombarding us is not good. And right. if we spend all this time in front of the screen and not out in nature and not doing things outside like we did hundreds of years ago, you know, now we're all cooped up and, and sort of, you know, beholden and tied to our technology. And this uh, it's a ball and chain that, you know, is sort of a, it's a necessity in, in most of our lives. So as long as it remains such, we need to say, all right, well, if there are features of this technology that are detrimental to my health, how can I mitigate that? And one of them is simply turning the blue light filter on on your different you know, screens 
and use it. And you're not going to notice it. It's not going to make anything look worse or completely change it. It's just going to take it and take that brightness down a little bit and pull that blue light out so it helps your eyes go, ah, <laughs> give, yeah, give me yeah, a little bit a of a break. a great point. You're right. 100% agree. The... Um, so, I mean, the blue light filters, yeah, I mean, that's something that um, you brought it up and I was going to bring it up. So that's fantastic because it's something that uh, a lot of people don't know. I showed them that on their phone. They're like, really? I didn't even know it was there. And I'm like, I, they do such a poor job of, of telling people about it. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, so that's one of the things with computer vision syndrome. And, you know, eye fatigue and headache and, you know, impaired concentration. Many of the things we were talking about at the top of the show, those are the same things. Those are the same symptoms you get with this. And the way to fix it is, you know, as crazy as it sounds, some blink, have some mindfulness about blinking. I tell people that all the time and I make the same speech. I know it sounds silly and you think you don't think about your blinking, but you, to your point, you can, you, you can mm -hmm. be cognizant of it. Um, and you mentioned apps. There's actually little, people have little things on their computers now. It'll, it'll like flicker every so often to remind people to take a break, things like that. Um, position, you know, set up your workstation as best you can and understand that you'll work more efficiently if you're more comfortable and if you have good workplace ergonomics, workstation ergonomics. Um, and that has impact on your eyes as well. And that then has an impact on your productivity. So all the employers out there should be saying, well, hey, man, you better make sure your employees, if you want to get as much productivity out of your people as possible, make sure that they're comfortable. Make sure that they do have filters maybe on their screens. Make sure that they, you know, you, you give them the option to have those, uh, those very desks or whatever that, that come up that, you know, so they can stand. Make sure you, you invest in chairs. You know, I've seen so many people, I go to a lot of offices. I mean, I'm, all, mm -hmm. I'm in and out of tons of offices and IT consultant all the time. And it's amazing to me how many times I'll see these chairs that people are sitting in. And I'm like, how are you like, how do you sit in that thing all day? And a chair will be like tilted this way and one arm rest will be like, like, how yeah. do you even do that? You yeah, know? I know. It's you got to be comfortable, you know? Every part of your body, like you say, to have the feet on the floor, good back support, good chair, you know, way to, to lessen the strain on your overall body, right? Eyes and everything else. To And, and if you're more comfortable, is productivity. And then, of course, the employer should also, you know, suggest, uh, you know, or make recommendations as to, you know, what, the employee should do, you know, every 30, 40 minutes, you know, get up, stretch, walk around, you know, make it a habit, make a contest at your, at your company, you know, who can walk the furthest in 12 minutes or something, you know what I mean? Like just yeah. do, do something silly, but make it fun so that you get people engaged. And when they get up and they walk around and they get the blood flow and you sit back down, you're energized, you're, you're, you're refocused and you're ready to go back to work. And the next thing you know, boom, 45 minutes go by again, and you're like, oh, time to get back up again, you know? And you're getting right. so much more done probably in that 45 minutes and in that hour than you were before. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, like we were talking about, I think there's all kinds of reasons why that's true, including the, the way your visual system works. I mean, because your visual attention will just, will, will break down, you know, whether you wanted to or not. It's tough. I'll tell you right now personally, because, you know, I'm using the webcam and I got a lot of lighting on me. I've got these two big lights here. And they're bright white lights, and so I want to be lit well. But after a while, like I'm sitting here, my eyes are just like, "All right, man." Your tears are evaporating take instantaneously. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'll go. I'll go take a break. I'll be like, "Wow!" But uh, it's it's you know what happens to all of us. We have these uh, these demands on our eyes. You know, I mean, we have a lot to do and and a lot to see, and and so we've got to protect them. And so it's a very uh, very interesting episode. I really appreciate you coming on. We're getting to the end here already. Um, 
goes quickly. Do you have any uh, any last thoughts or things that you'd like to share with the audience before I let you go? Well, I, you know, I, I appreciate you having me on. It's really an important topic for me. You know, my colleagues and I, um, you know, have spent our lives doing this. It's what we do. Um, and we've seen, you know, we enjoy working with people in this area. We've seen the tragic things that can happen to people so quickly. One of the things I sometimes do is give talks on eye safety. I'll actually go in at, at no charge to them, to our, to our, to our clients, and, and I'll give a, however long they want me to talk, I'll talk about eye safety. And one of the things I always stress with them, and I, I put up pictures for them, I put up pictures of people hunting and fishing and water skiing and playing with their kids and, you know, say, don't, when you think about your eye safety and what happens while you're at work, just know that you're this, an eye injury is going to follow you in all these other venues as well. And it's, it's, it's something that, you know, when you see somebody who's visually impaired, I think for most, most people can relate visual impairment is a thing that many people are most afraid of, you know, even more than death, you know? Mm. And so it just takes, it doesn't take a lot. It just takes, you know, if you're going to do one thing, I and mean, even if it's not starting a safety eyeglasses program, if there's one thing you're going to do, walk through your facility with a couple of content experts, whatever that area is, welding shop or whatever the case may be, and try and think about what you're doing day by day and what exposures you have visually and otherwise and understand the colors of the workplace, the lighting of the workstation, all those kinds of things that vision is the foundational sense in human beings. It's not only for reading fine print. Without your awareness, your visual system is organizing your posture. It's organizing how you walk. It's organizing how you navigate steps. All those things is being, are, are being led by the visual system below your level of attention. And so it's typically the first input, right? Because we see things before we touch them or taste them or whatever. That's right. And so anyway, I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. It's something I'm passionate about. And, you know, hopefully people picked up a few useful, useful ideas. Oh, I definitely think they have. And, you know, uh, companies should have an eye safety program. You know, sometimes you have to have it to be in compliance, like with OSHA or something like that. You know, companies need to be aware of it. They need to be concerned with it because if you are proactive about it and you can demonstrate that you're proactive and there is a problem, well, your liability is probably going to be, be not be eliminated, but it might be reduced because you were making an effort to, to do something, right? If you're yeah. shown to be negligent or you're ignoring something like that where you really need to be paying attention to it, that could come back down the road and bite you really bad. And, and so we don't want that to happen to anybody and we don't want anybody to have a problem you know, with their health and safety, as I started off saying, head to toe, <laughs> right? And anything in right. between. So, so uh, very good. So, again, I really appreciate you coming on, Dr. Mark Karoff. Uh, for our listeners, they can visit uh, his website, completeisafety.com. Learn more about their uh, corporate programs and, you know, read about them in the news and the other uh, services that they provide uh, to their clients. And uh, our visitors can visit the website. They can... Um, I'm sure you can find you on social media too. We'll, we'll post those links. And, uh, and again, thanks for being here. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to get the latest safety information at safetytalkpodcast.com. So until next time, as I always say to everybody, stay safe. Thanks, Pete.
Thanks for tuning in to Safety Talk. You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through his speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.